Okay, hello everyone, and welcome to the Actus Podcast, Talking CDI. Uh, happy 2022. The Actus Podcast is a bi-weekly program dedicated to bringing you closer to the difference makers in CDI and sharing the latest news and information relevant to the CDI profession and Actus. Today's featured Actus solution is Actus Pro. Just like our printed Actus Pocket Guide, uh, the, this online portal provides you all the detail, explanation, and content you've come to trust and expect from the Actus team, but we update it in real time to keep you at the forefront of the CDI industry. Actus Pro allows you to easily access all the query coding and documentation resources you love and need every day. Well, we happen to have one of our uh, authors on today's program. I'll introduce in just a moment. I think it's a really cool new technology that we're very proud of, so check it out at hcmarketplace.com uh, slash actus-pro. All right, my name is Brian Murphy, Director of Actus, the Association of Clinical Documentation Integrity Specialists, and I'm, of course, your host for today's program, Ethics and CDI, New Challenges. Um, I just gave her a little bit of a of an advanced uh, introduction here, but I'm joined today by my co-host, Laurie Prescott, one of our Actus Pocket Guide authors and authors of Actus Pro. Uh, Actus is, uh, excuse me, Laurie is, of course, the CDI Education Director for us here at Actus. She's the lead developer instructor for our boot camps, subject matter expert, member of our certification committees and advisory board, and a frequent uh, co-host on the show, and I'm very pleased to have her back for our first show of 2022. So welcome, Laurie. Yeah, thanks, Brian. Happy New Year, everybody. Yeah. And we're also joined by a great guest who we've had on the program before. It's been a while. I can't remember the last time we had Deanne Wilk on. Probably maybe back to the dreaded 2020 year, or maybe even earlier. But I'm very pleased to have her back on the show. Deanne is Director of CDI at Penn State Health in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Her experience spans 36 years in the healthcare field. Her primary nursing background includes telemetry and home health nursing. Um, from her original CDI role, she went to consulting and management, back to CDI, of course, in the hospital setting. Um, you might recognize Deanna. She's a former Actus Advisory Board member, frequent speaker at our conferences, founder of the Central Pennsylvania Actus Chapter. And I'm very pleased to have her back on the show. So welcome, Deanne. Well, thank you very much. Good to be here. Absolutely. All right. Well, we've got our topic today, ethics and CDI. So I'm going to go ahead and share a poll question related to today's topic, as I always do. Let me go ahead and uh, pull that up, launch that on your screen. You should be seeing that in a moment. Um, today, we are asking our attendees, how often? Are you confronted with ethical challenges in your role as a CDI professional? And your options are very often, which I'll let you decide how often very often it is, but I'm saying potentially <laughs> weekly, if not even more often. Uh, occasionally, maybe every few weeks or every few months, you run into an ethical dilemma. Uh, rarely, perhaps this means you can maybe recall a few instances. Uh, never, never in your career or not applicable or other, realizing that some aren't currently in CDI and maybe you have an, an, another answer that's not here. And I love, as you know, your other options. So please do go ahead and, and drop a comment in 
and I'll try to work those into the program. But again, how often are you confronted with ethical challenges in your day-to-day -day work as a CDI professional? Uh, very often, occasionally, rarely, never, or not applicable. All right, I'm gonna go ahead and close this out for now. We've got about three quarters of our audience that have voted and we'll return to the results in just a few minutes. All right, again, Deanne, welcome to the show today. I'm glad to have you back and uh, let's get let's get started. Actually, but before I go into this, somebody, you were just telling us before the show, Deanne, that you guys have since now recently returned to doing some clinical work. So um, I hope that is going okay and you're, and you're staying uh, safe and healthy in this in this resurgence of of course the covid pandemic yeah i uh i was just telling brian and Lori that my team is not doing any cdi work currently we are in the throes of covid swabbing and dealing with positive patients and the quarantine measures and the change with the cdc and um we are in critical mode right now so um yeah. My team, I'm very proud of my team. They've done an excellent job so far. So, yep. um, yeah. Well, our, our thoughts are with you, and, and we know that you'll, you're you helping to fight the pandemic. It's, it's yeah. amazing work. Yep. Yeah. Um, so really, the, sh the show today was prompted by an article you wrote for our CDI journal. I'm going to share that a little bit later in the show, and also we'll link to it in our show notes. Um, it was called Maintaining Ethical and Compliant Practices and Quality Reviews. Again, it's been it's been a while since we did a show on ethics and CDI, and it was it was time. It's a great message, I think, to start the new year with. Um, and we've we've known about some of the long-standing ethics pressures that still remain, you know, regarding the financial side of CDI, whether or not, for example, to report maybe a borderline CC or MCC. Or a diagnosis that you know maybe maybe incidental maybe isn't impacting patient care. There are a number of examples, but what I liked about your article is you're kind of showing how some of these it's it's really magnified over the years um, and and intensified with things like hospital and physician quality rankings, um, consumer facing websites like Leapfrog, and wanting to make sure that your hospital looks as good as it can on paper, which of course is often tied to uh, documentation, Visient, et cetera. So could you talk a little bit about uh, the sort of the new, some of these new ethical challenges and, and new pressures facing CDI and, and hospital today, hospitals today? Yeah. So, you know, what a lot of organizations, a lot of CDI programs now are getting more and more involved with quality. You know, we've been doing quality for a number of years. And I think when, these programs take on um, new avenues, new pursuits um, that we still have to remember that there's a compliant and an ethical way to do it. What I'm seeing and hearing from um, organizations across the nation um, are that uh, I get a lot of questions from CDI staff uh, asking about, you know, is this okay? Um, are we allowed to do this? And, um, you know, what I hear is a lot of quality departments, um, you know, quality used to be on the back end of everything. And technically, I think they should be. That's my personal opinion. But um, they're, they're the measurer of how we performed, not how we're performing right now. But what I see is a lot of quality departments, um, you know, quality measures are big. 
you know, we, we look at our length of stay, our readmissions, our mortality. We're benchmarked out there with Vizian and other um, consortiums out there, uh, LeapFrog, CMS, health grades, and patients are looking at that. Um, you know, even our revenue is value-based now. So it's all about how are we treating our patients? How well are we doing? Um, how are we doing clinically? So when CDI is looking at the expected end of it, we, we've done that. You know, we take care of the expected. We can handle the expected. We have a good expected. Now we're looking at the observed end. Um, and that's really where the problem is occurring. So it's how are we clinically performing? Um, and when you're looking at these ODE measures for quality and, and care and benchmarking, you know, it's some look at it as a game. How can we win the game? And quality and compliance, everyone used to stay in their lane, in their silo, little communication with each other. But now we're seeing that people are going into different lanes. So we see quality departments, um, you know, kind of infringing on other work to have an impact ahead of, ahead of time um, so that the back end looks good, so that the quality measure comes out good. And that's really where we're getting to, to the, you know, the infringement on is this ethical, is this really quality here? So, you know, the quality measures, the public reporting, it's, it's the new avenue to revenue is what I call it. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and you know the the pay structures are value based. So with more organizations benchmarking, um, you know, ranking is very important, especially to the academic centers that are doing research. Um, that's how we're bringing our patients in. You know, so you have to win the game of quality. But when does it become unethical as to how we're winning? So. Um, you know, some of the examples that I talked about in there, sepsis, of course, is one, you know, the sepsis bundle with CMS. And, you know, how are we, if we're not meeting that bundle, then do we go and, you know, I see the discussions happening with, well, did they really have sepsis then? You know, since we didn't do the bundle, did they really have sepsis, doctor? Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's really where we're getting into crossing the line. Um you know, with some of these measures. Gotcha. It's it's almost like people are looking at the ends and using that to justify the means. So they're looking Correct. at what the reporting is to justify their exchanges. You talked about the sepsis bundle. Are there other examples that you're seeing where um, kind of we're traveling that uh, tricky road with ethics and the balance? Yeah, and you know, I think um, one big area that I see it occurring in is in PSIs, you know, your patient safety indicators, where your CAUDIs, your CLABSIs, you know, is it really due to that Foley, or is that infection really due to the surgery, or did they have it on admission, you know, what, what what's POA and what's not? And while I think that CDI can do a lot of work to help support you know, we, I, I always tell my staff, you prove and you disprove. You know, we're not all about finding words. You're clinically validating, you know, and you're helping educate the provider to clinically support. So, you know, PSIs is definitely an area that we need to look at. But I think one is that sometimes CDI aren't even aware that they're crossing the line. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they may have a lack of education. They need to review those ethical principles, um, even quality. You know, sometimes it's a lack of knowledge, you know, going on. So mm-hmm. I find most are just, they're unaware that there's even compliance that we need to follow out there. Um, so a lot of education needs to occur. I, yeah. I would agree with that. I was sharing your article here, Deanne, and you, you do lay out a nice case of a patient that comes in. I know you talked about the sepsis case a little bit here, but it really drives it home with, you know, a lot of clinical evidence pointing in that direction. And then the quality steps in while the patient's still in-house, which is a new, relatively new phenomenon, you know, mm-hmm. concurrent quality reviews. And then um, all of a sudden the documentation states sepsis ruled out in the discharge summary and the right. patient, you know, was about, was was told that, well, the quality department said that the patient didn't meet the sepsis bundle. So 11th hour, um, right. deciding what gets documented and coded. Really yeah. Yeah, interesting examples here. Um, anything else particularly that you think, you know, you've, you've made a really good case for the quality impacts and some of the, you know, the pressure to report things a certain way for for some of the, you know, public-facing websites mm-hmm. and programs, but, you know, we're, we're hearing, you know, we just did a paper with AHIMA, for example, about borderline diagnosis being flagged by AI products, natural language processing and picked up. Um, gosh, there's a huge case right now that's brewing, a le- brewing legal battle, a key TAM case, so a, a reported from within case against Kaiser about, um, you know, H- diagnoses being picked up to inflate HCC scores. Again, this is alleged, but, you know, being picked up off old problem lists. And we're starting to see, of course, a lot of audits come in. So, um, you know, anything else that you think people should be wary of these days that, that really might be uh, an ethics conundrum coming at them from, from not yeah. expected angles? Yeah, I think, I th- you know, I really think the biggest thing, Brian, is... Um, how are we educating our providers and others out there in the organization? I see what I see a lot of is, um, you know, with these technology partners, they're giving these front facing identifiers, technology identifiers as to, well, this is an MC and this is a CC and this is an HCC and I'm going to highlight it in red. And, and what happens with that is you have um, coding staff and CDI staff and quality and providers who then think that's okay. And then that's the education that starts to get perpetuated um, mm-hmm. downstream. And that's where we get into trouble, you know. So I think really on the education piece, especially for CDI, that's where we need to take caution and really remain compliant and ethical and don't front face those MCCs and CCs. Keep it clinical. You know, that the reason for CDI and documentation is quality and patient care. It's not to capture MCCs and CCs. It's not to identify HCCs. It's not to um, avoid a PSI. (laughs) You know, those words need to stay out of the education. Um, That's probably the biggest thing I can say, um, you know, to to remain compliant, remain um, ethical in our practices. Yep. I would agree. And I think it's not just educating the providers, but getting out and educating the quality team. And, uh, you know, when you see that maybe some of their activities are not correct, 
um, how, how do we address that? And yeah. I guess that that's that's my next question for you is, okay, now yeah. we've recognized there's a problem. What do we do about it? Um, if I'm the CDI person sitting in the ICU seeing questionable practices, um, where do I go with that? Do I take it to my manager? Do I take it to the compliance officer? Um, do I hit my head against the wall and scream? You know, <laughs> tell, tell me what to do, Deanne. Yeah. Well, I think the biggest thing is, you know, speak up. Um, you know, I've even seen, I, I've even um, been involved in education from, you know, some outside vendors that have promoted that, you know, type of language. And I think the thing is speak up. Um, you do want to talk to compliance. I have, um, you know, CDI teams need to be educated on ethics and compliance. That needs to be part of the program, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and they, they need to read it. You know, they need to understand it. But I do think the biggest thing is education. Yeah, uh, collaborate. If you're going to collaborate on things, make sure the compliance piece is part of that. You know, I when I first started here at Penn State, you know, they're like, well, why can't we do that? <laughs> why can't we just not have them write that? Well, because there's a compliance issue. So, you know, they need to understand the guidelines, the policies. Do we need to have a memorize, you know, the providers memorize policies and procedures? No. But we do need to say we need to maintain compliance here. You know, and that's part of what CDI does for providers. We're part of the compliance team. Um, but definitely get compliance involved um, if you're seeing things out there. Um, so that everyone has an understanding of what is permitted and what is not. Mm -hmm. So see something, say something is my is my policy. It's a good one. I like it, Dan. You know, maybe just to wrap up here on our conversation. Um, you know, and you have it here linked in the article too. Uh, we we Actus has a published code of ethics, um, which is pretty detailed. It 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 talks about what how CDI professionals should comport themselves, you know, from an ethical perspective and sh what they shall, and in some instances, what they shall not do. Uh, one of the things I really like about it, too, is it has some potential ethical scenarios at the end, which we probably have run into at various points. So it's um, it's 11-point ethics um, walkthrough here that you outline in the article, and, and there's a link in it to the, the wider code of ethics here. So for those that are following us today on the, on the live program, I'm showing this on the screen, but it is available if you're listening via podcast under the under the membership tab, um, and then you will find it here on the Code of Ethics. So go to actus.org, membership Code of Ethics. It is quite detailed, more than we can cover here, but um, it's also nicely broken out below here um, in these in these um, menus that open up. So. Um, you know, just for you, Dan, just to wrap up some final thoughts here as, as we sort of take a fresh read about CDI and think about the purpose of what we do. I really love what you had to say about making it about quality and about patient care at the at the forefront and let, you know, sort of the finance and and the other metrics fall where they may be. But um, any any final thoughts just for our audience on how they can be more aware of these pressures sort of stay sharp and alert to potential CDI ethical pressures? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I mean, it, being in a clinical situation, you have that gut feeling. <laughs> I think that, 
if it doesn't feel right, maybe it's not, you know, and I think, you know, once you start going down that path, you know, if you start talking about different quality measures to providers and revenue, and this is an MCC, you never get out of that lane. Um, and and it, it will hurt your program over time because that's a, the only thing they'll see. So you got to keep the why on the patient, you know, and not on the periphery of all these other things. You know, you're working on them, yeah, but you got to collaborate and do it the right way. Yeah. So. I would agree with that. And the only thing I'm going to add, Brian, before you move sure. on, because I, I worked in the role of compliance officer. It's a lonely job. Um, people don't tend to seek the compliance officer out when they should, and then it blows up and turns into a bigger issue. So, you know, I always told people, you know, like you said, if you see something, say something. You can have a discussion with your compliance officer about something mm -hmm. totally one-on-one, uh, -on -one, anonymous. You may find after that discussion you've got nothing to worry about, or your compliance officer may react to it. It's a, you know, it's just a discussion. So use that resource within your facility to bring up issues. Um, that's what they're there to do. Um, otherwise, they sit very lonely in their office. So, <laughs> you know, use them. Use them as a resource. Yeah, that's a good point, Laurie. Good call, Laurie. All right, let's take a look at our poll results. So I'm going to go ahead and share these again. Again, we asked... Um, our listeners today, how often are you confronted with ethical challenges in your role as a CDI professional? And here are your responses. You know, our largest bucket was rarely, can recall a few instances at 43%. Next largest bucket, however, was occasionally every few weeks or months, so 35%, a little more than a third are being hit with these challenges occasionally. 7% say very often, weekly if not daily, 13% are in the fortunate uh, instance of, of never. And then we had some other responses, which I thought were pretty good. I'm going to re read a few of those. But any thoughts before we get to those, Deanne, just on the results themselves here? Well, I think that those that are on the rarely or even the occasionally or never, or sorry, the rarely or the nevers, my question would be, um, are you recognizing what are your ethical challenges? You know, maybe your understanding is that, that it's not a problem. So I would say maybe question some of those, you know, that you're thinking are not ethical challenges. Mm -hmm. Took the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> yep. Gosh, there's a lot of, a lot of comments here, more than I can get through. Um, let me see if I can skim and find a few. You know, some comments are tough, like my organization refuses to listen to education from me. Uh, we receive a lot of dialogue from quality folks regarding readmission concerns and request mm -hmm. to change the principal diagnosis without having a good understanding of how the principal diagnosis is assigned or being knowledgeable about coding guidance. So yeah, maybe quality not knowing about principal diagnosis. Um, yeah. Yeah. Someone said they love this show, favorite to date. Hopefully to date all time, maybe not your favorite in 2022, because this is our first. <laughs> I like that person. Yeah, I do too. I'm a member in compliance committee and I'm brushed off every single time I bring anything up with a frown. So that's that's not yep. good. Um, my providers see my CDIS role as someone who wants to capture money. 
due to their view of my role. It was in place yeah. prior to me starting here. You know, sort of how how do we change that that mindset among physicians? Um, yeah, that's tough. Yeah. Yeah. And then one other person just said, really, if a CDI has his or her antenna up, you might see these daily. You should see these daily. Every single mm -hmm. time you send a query, you should question whether it's compliant. Every time you read a chart, you need to validate. You need to validate a diagnosis. It's an ethical opportunity. In my organization, we only give two choices of query answers: the diagnosis you're looking for, and others which she finds to be ethical. Mm. Um, yeah. Wow. Lots yeah. of really good. Um, uh, I mean, it shows you that it's models. out there. You know. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, I thank you, audience, for sending those in, and there are more which we'll we'll yeah, take a look at comment. after the show. Yeah, there was several others in there too. I just we're getting near the top of the hour here. Um, I'm going to go ahead and close out this poll. By the way. All right. Let's take a moment to navigate over to our in the news segment. Um, in the news is a regular feature of the show, bringing bringing you the latest three in industry updates and news relevant to the CDI profession and actus, or maybe whatever I think I'm interested in this day. <laughs> uh, this particular one I thought was kind of cool. It's an article published um, in December, December 6th by the Association of Healthcare Journalists, AHCJ. It might not be someone who's on your radar for a news out, outlet that you follow. But, you know, grab my attention. This article is entitled, Find Out How to Prepare Your Audiences to Respond if They Find Errors in Their Medical Records. So she's, this person's referring to audience, meaning your readers, but it's really about um, a new um, information blocking regulation put in back in April, April 5th of last year. And this allows patients to have much greater access to their medical records. So being able to actually look at the health record itself and what happens then when pa patients read them and find errors or perceived errors, they, um, this group, the AHCJ did a recent December 8th webinar, which is linked here. It's on YouTube. It's free. You can go watch it now if you'd like. It's pretty cool. I did watch a good chunk of it. Um, really explains the issue quite well. It has some of the authors from some of their articles. You know, they're, they're, they cite here a September 14th article entitled, Open Notes Shines Light on Errors in Patient Medical Records. Um, one of these AHCJ journalists wrote of her own experience of medical records, finding summary visit notes from one doctor that contained, quote, 19 errors and a whole section that made no sense. I wonder if that's copy paste. Um, a physician here that was one of the sources cited said that patient errors can occur, or errors, I should say, documentation errors or whatever can occur in up to 100% of medical records, including wrong medications, old problems listed as current problems, ICD-10 codes for conditions that had nothing to do with the reason patient went to the doctor in the first place. Um, there was a study they cite here as well. Um, they're, they're citing a JAMA open research study from June 2020, where they looked at the results of a survey, looking at what happened with more than 22,000 patients who had read one or more notes in the past 12 months. Of those patients, 21% reported a perceived mistake, and 42% reported that that mistake was, was serious, with this group split between replies indicating the error was somewhat serious or, or very serious. So, um, 
again, interesting article about what we're seeing with, in, in transparency these days. A lot of good research in here, a lot of meat to chew on in this article, and uh, again, a, a pretty cool panel that is available for to, for you to watch uh, on YouTube that took place back in December of last year. So, Deanne, just curious about your your take on you know the trend towards increasing transparency in the medical records specifically now by patients themselves we we know about this on the you know on the on the auditor side and and the information sharing between hospital side but now now the patients themselves are getting some insight into their medical mm. records and do you have any thoughts on this and and how it might potentially impact our work your work as CDI professionals yeah so you know my you know, the education I always received as a coder and a CDI was, you know, you're possible, probable, likely suspected. You never, there's certain conditions you never call that. And HIV, um, psychological, and uh, cancers, you know, I want proof. And now COVID, of course. But, you know, there's a reason for that. And it's because if you, if you as the CDI or you as the coder diagnose that, um, it shows up in the portal. And, you know, when a patient sees things like that, it can be very detrimental for them. So it is a little concerning, you know, having patients read their own records now um, if they're not mentally prepared for what they're going to see. Um, and I know just even as a CDI specialist, you know, our team, doctors don't like to write morbid obesity and obesity, even Correct. though it absolutely impacts quality care for a patient because the patient is going to complain um, or any social determinants. That's another one that, you know, patients don't want to see that about themselves. So, yeah, I think it, I think it is concerning. Yep. All right. Well, we're almost at time here. I did want to share just a brief Actus update. And um, gosh, here we are at the new year. We're well and deep into planning for our Actus 2022 conference. This year, we're um, going to be back in Orlando, May 2nd through 5th at the lovely Gaylord Palms. For those that joined us in 2019, it's the same location we were at, except that the hotel has greatly expanded their their conference space. If you can even imagine, if for those that were there, it was a beautiful space, but we're um, Really looking forward to a return to Orlando, and it, gosh, it was—it it feels like we just had the Actus Conference. We we were in Dallas, of course, in October. We had to really modify those dates due to the pandemic. Um, and this year, we're getting back on the regular Actus schedule. So we're 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 hoping May brings us good news here, and we're planning full steam ahead for our 2022 conference in Orlando. Um, if you haven't yet seen our brochure, I happen to think it's probably the nicest one yet that I've seen. It's a Imagine mm -hmm. is our theme. We've got some really cool, uh, we, we play a little bit with the Imagine as an acronym and, and, and um, some of, there's a couple page, two page spread here I'm showing you about some of the new things we've got going on. We've got a CDI masterclass track, which is brand new this year. We've got a dedicated, fully dedicated outpatient CDI track this year. Uh, we've got two amazing keynotes lined up already that I think you guys will love. Uh, Judy Haller, Everyday Improviser, and Dr. Uh, Moo Cooper, Limitless Diversity and STEAM from a Real Life Guardian of the Galaxy. This is a, 
um, a woman who was involved in the in the NASA mission to Mars 2020. So some great stuff. Of course, our usual pre-conference events and a full three days of education, or two and a half days of education with an opening uh, reception. Food and beverages throughout, great networking. People loved our 2021 event. Uh, we're running this as safely as we as we can and responsibly as we can in this atmosphere. And we we had a great experience in 2021, and I'm anticipating the same again in 2022. So I hope you can join us in Orlando. Be thinking of it. That brochure should be hitting your inboxes soon. All right, that is going to do it for today's edition of the Actus Podcast Talking CDI. For those joining us live, we will see you back here again in two weeks on a regular schedule of Wednesday, January 19th. We've got a show on an emerging new role in CDI, uh, CDI informaticist. Having informaticists join us for the show. So that's cool. Um, as a reminder, you can listen to the show recordings anytime on our website or via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify. And as always, if you have any suggestions for future guests, do you like today's show, more on ethics, um, send me an email at bmurphy at actus.org. I love hearing from you. Thanks again, Deanne. Awesome job today. Good luck. Thank you. For the new year and for everyone else, we'll see you back here again in two weeks. Take care, everyone. <laughs>